a well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad to be back with you. Sorry about uh, last Thursday. Had a bit of a uh, family situation that I had to attend to. Um, Sick as well over the weekend. Uh, Not sure if this is COVID or just a a summer cold. And as you can uh, probably tell, there's something a little bit different, particularly if you're watching. If you're listening, you're just thinking, ah, Cam's got a scratchy voice. But uh, yeah, about half of the beard uh, is gone as well. You know, I uh, started growing this beard out the first time about six years ago when uh, my wife, Missy, was diagnosed with lung cancer being bald, you know, shaving her head in solidarity when she's going through chemotherapy, it didn't really send much of a message. And uh, she said, instead of shaving your head, because you kind of do that anyway, why don't you grow out the beard? I want to see what you look like with a long beard. So I did, trimmed it back when uh, she was in remission. Uh, the cancer came back, started growing it out again. So we found out last week that the uh, the cancer is uh, growing again slowly. Uh, but you know, this idea that I've had for the past couple of years or so that maybe my beard has magical powers and it is, uh, you know, a cancer preventative. Uh, that theory has been put to the test. It has been disproven. Uh, and my wife for the last couple of months has been saying, hey, you know, if you decided to cut that beard, it really wouldn't bother me. So uh, no longer do I look like a homeless wizard, um, <clears throat> which is fine. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we might grow it back out because you know she is still in the fight so uh i appreciate your thoughts and your prayers the the news was not as bad as it could have been um but uh she is definitely still in the fight and uh, again as i said i appreciate all of your thoughts and all of your prayers for her continued uh fight going forward so on today's program we're going to be talking about uh, the fight out in california now you know the legislature in california dominated as it is by democrats every year Multiple gun control bills aimed at law-abiding citizens are approved, right? Just in the wake of the Bruin decision just a couple of months ago, the California legislature passed nearly a dozen gun control bills, again, all of them aimed at legal gun owners and imposing new restrictions on the right to keep and bear arms. But do you know there were a couple of bills that died in the California legislature dealing with firearms and Hollywood? Yeah. Uh, In fact, I think it was uh, Deadline Hollywood. Yeah, that uh, had the story. The Directors Guild of America and the uh, IATSE, which is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, uh, are, quote, disappointed that the California legislature did not impose Uh, new gun control measures on the entertainment industry, uh, specifically, uh, quote, gun safety for uh, film and TV sets. Uh, The uh, two unions released a a statement over the weekend saying that they are, quote, disappointed and disheartened that this critical legislation, which would have required important safety protections for our members and all workers in our industry, was not passed into law during this legislative session. Unfortunately, we were unable to get these studios to support significant, meaningful, and practical safety reforms that they currently implement in other parts of the world. We remain committed to reforms that protect our members through negotiations with these studios or legislation in California and other states. Those changes require prioritizing safety and allocating resources to make it happen on the ground. So what is it that they were looking for? Well, there's this bill, uh, Senate Bill 831, that was written uh, in response to the shooting on the set of the movie Rust 
in which Helena Hutchins was shot and killed by actor Alec Baldwin. Uh, Alec Baldwin maintains he never pulled the trigger. FBI says there's no way the gun could have discharged without the trigger being pulled. Uh, this Senate bill, 831, would have prohibited ammunition on film, television, and commercial sets, except in prescribed circumstances, subject to, quote, certain safety rules and laws. It would also have required employers to ensure that any employee responsible for handling or in proximity to firearms on set completes a specific firearm training or equivalent training. Employers also would have had to hire a qualified set safety supervisor for all film and TV productions to perform a risk assessment to be completed prior to the first day of production on a feature, an episode of a series, or a program. That person would have to be on set daily to ensure cast and crew are not engaged in or exposed to an environment or activity that puts workers' health and safety at risk. Now, keep in mind, accidents like the one that we saw on the set of Rust are exceedingly rare, right? The the industry, I would have to say, generally does a pretty good job of maintaining safety on set. But what's interesting here is that there were two competing bills, neither one of which made it out of the state legislature. So the Directors Guild of America, the IATSC, they were supporting Senate Bill 831. The Motion Picture Association of America uh, had backed another bill, a competing bill, Senate Bill 829, which also, by the way, died in the state legislature. As Deadline reports, that bill, with prescribed exceptions, would have prohibited the use of ammunition in the production of a film or TV show, would have authorized the use of a firearm in a production if it is used with blanks and remains under the supervision of an armor at all times. It also would have prohibited an armorer from having any other duties, responsibilities, or obligations during the time that a performer is using a firearm, as well as require employers to ensure that a fire code official is present in any production during the time that any firemen blanks are used in the production. So it, it, I, I got to tell you, the differences between these two bills seem fairly minor to me. Uh, and frankly, there's nothing stopping any of these studios from putting these measures in place voluntarily. You don't need a law if this is going to be the standard practice that the MPA and studios adopt. I think this is passing the buck. I think this is a passing the buck at an epic scale, quite frankly. The entertainment industry wants to see like they uh, seem like they're doing something, right? But well, we can't act. It's up to the legislature. Meanwhile, you've got various groups lobbying for and against these bills. The uh, state Senate, again, dominated by Democrats, state legislature dominated by Democrats, I'm sure would love to do what the industry wants it to do, but the industry itself can't decide on what that should be. So now the lawmakers get to point the finger back at the industry and say, look, when they decide on what the standard should be, well, we're happy to enact that into law. Meanwhile, all of this aimed at what I think is um, not a huge problem in the state of California. But then again, legal gun owners aren't a huge problem in the state of California either. And look at how much time and attention Democrats in Sacramento are paying to them. Uh, so I don't know what's going to happen with Hollywood. You know, the gun control movement is trying to get Hollywood to go gun free uh, as much as possible. Right. Uh, you've seen some directors say we won't use even um, you know prop guns on set. Well, we're gonna it's all gonna be CGI from here on out. Again, wh whatever they want to do, it's it's up to them. But I do find it very interesting that in California, when you've got all of these groups in the entertainment industry ostensibly wanting to get something done, and yet. These measures fail to pass the state legislature, while bills that 
you know, in essence, criminalize uh, any marketing materials on the part of firearms industry that might be appealing to minors, that passes. Uh, new laws dealing with the right to carry, uh, new laws uh, challenging and allowing for lawsuits to be filed against gun makers, uh, all those passed with wide margins, right? And again, all of them aimed at people who, frankly, are trying to be on the right side of the law. Really shows you where the priorities lie for these California Democrats, right? Money talks, apparently, and the entertainment industry can ultimately avoid, as much as they might say they want these new rules in place, bottom line is there are no rules in place now, no new rules in place for the entertainment industry, all kinds of new rules in place, however, for legal law-abiding Californians exercising their right to keep and bear arms. All right, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a case out of Pennsylvania, where uh, in Westchester, PA, uh, Michael uh, Relihan reported for the Daily Local News about an expert burglar who stunned officials with a long criminal history. Yeah, uh, six pages long, <laughs> to to be precise. Um, in Pennsylvania, there's something called uh, an RFEL. Uh, that is basically a, a repeat felon. Uh, but you can't get that designation under the Pennsylvania Sentencing Guidelines until you have committed six or more felony offenses over the course of your criminal career. Uh, that would apply to a gentleman named Victor Anthony Duanolo. He's 47 years old. And according to the uh, Daily News in Westchester, he possesses a criminal record that, quote, left court officials stunned at its length and breadth recently. Senior Deputy District Attorney Carlos Barraza in the uh, Chester County DA's office says it's six pages long. Uh, he was talking about this in court last week prior to Dononolo's sentencing on burglary charges. I said, I don't remember. Uh, I'm sorry. This was the common pleas judge, Patrick Carmody. He said, I don't remember a prior record like this in the 30 to 40 years that I've been working. I've never seen anything like this. His pre-sentencing investigation reports listed convictions going back to 1994 in four different states, Delaware, Alabama, Florida, and Pennsylvania. 12 burglaries over the span of 10 years, three assaults, two robberies, six thefts, two criminal conspiracies. Uh, he actually sounded like he had only really served any lengthy prison time in Alabama uh, and Florida. Uh, was arrested twice while he was awaiting trial on the case that the judge heard last week. Uh, Duanolo's attorney, Assistant Public Defender Stephen Dodd, tried to convince the judge that the uh, fault for the repeated crimes fell on Duanolo's lifelong drug and alcohol abuse and the failure of corrections officials to offer him a meaningful, structured form of treatment, saying that he'd been a heroin addict since the age of 18, part of a, a revolving door form of imprisonment. Uh, he said, I don't know anybody who could argue that he did not have a challenging childhood. His father was sentenced to life in prison for murder back in 1975 after stabbing a woman after abducting her outside of a bar in uh, Bear, Delaware. Uh, the judge didn't buy the defense attorney's argument. Uh, he instead sentenced to Anolo to a prison term of 8 to 20 years, saying that he is beyond rehabilitation. Saying, uh, quote, if I let you out today, you would commit a burglary within a week because that's who you are. You put yourself above others over and over and over again. Okay. So eight years, eight to 20, which means eight, which means with 
time served if he's on, you know, good behavior while he's behind bars. Mr. Duanolo, despite, again, a very lengthy criminal history that stretches back throughout its entirety of his adult life and possibly into his juvenile uh, years as well, will ultimately still, look, it's not no time. It's not no time. But probably not enough time, uh, given the uh, circumstances in the previous criminal history. So uh, we will uh, keep you up to date on Mr. Duanolo's story. Hopefully, we won't have anything new to report for at least several years. Uh, today's armed citizen story from Columbia, South Carolina, where a fatal shooting uh, during a home invasion has been ruled self-defense. This comes from the uh, Post and Courier, Lexington, South Carolina, uh, where the 11th Circuit Solicitor's Office found that a man uh, shot his brother-in-law in self-defense after his brother-in-law violently in- invaded his home. Uh, this was back on August 16th. Lexington, South Carolina police say that they believe the brother, uh, brother-in-law was identified as uh, 33-year-old Matthew Stanfield, actually lived in Colorado, had planned this attack. He was carrying a rifle, a ballistic vest, flex cuffs, a metal chain, as well as uh, extra uh, ammo magazines, when he broke into the home where his sister and her husband lived with their three children. It was about 5 o'clock on the morning of August 16th. The husband had just left for work, according to authorities, and he got an alert on his phone telling him that someone was outside of his house. He looked at security camera footage, saw his brother-in-law, who had previously made threats to his sister, as well as her husband and their kids. Then the husband then called 911 and reported there's somebody outside the house who shouldn't be there. He ran back home. When he got there, he heard glass breaking. So he's still on the phone with dispatchers. He reported that his home was being invaded. He found his brother-in-law inside the home, striking the bathroom door with a metal bat while his wife was hiding inside. The uh, homeowner and Stanfield then fought. Stanfield went outside, opened a backpack to get his rifle. The husband ran to his bedroom to get his handgun. The two men fired shots at each other. When officers arrived, the husband, who had been shot in the arm and shoulder, was uh, waiting outside of the home. Stanfield was found fatally shot in the living room. The three children were found in their bedrooms, unharmed. The homeowner's wife, unharmed as well. And again, now prosecutors say that uh, this was a case of self-defense. Didn't take them long uh, to determine that, thankfully. Uh, But uh, I think we all know how bad this could have turned out had the homeowner in Lexington, South Carolina, not been able to protect himself and his family from this attack. Finally, today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, to welcome a uh, new life into the world. Yep, there you go. This uh, smiling officer on hand, uh, uh, that's Sergeant Steve Purdy, uh, with the uh, Willard Police Department in, uh, I believe this is Willard, Missouri. It was uh, Friday, August the 12th. Call came in around 11 p.m. about a, a pregnant woman who was in labor uh, in an apartment complex not too far away from the police station. Uh, and uh, Sergeant Purdy said, since I was close, I decided to go ahead and head that way, see if I could help. Uh, on the way to the apartment, Purdy said the call was updated to say that the mom had actually given birth to her daughter, uh, to excuse me, to her son, uh, Asher Doherty, but the boy's condition was not great. He wasn't breathing. Baby was turning blue. So when Sergeant Purdy arrived, he said Asher's father, Joseph Daughtery, let him in. Purdy saw the mom doing CPR. He said he stepped in and took over during rescue breathing and chest compression. 
His color was getting better, but he still wasn't breathing on his own. So he asked the parents, do you have anything to suction out your child's mouth? Um, Mom did. And once the sergeant was able to get the airway clear, Asher Doherty started breathing on his own. Sergeant Purdy said it was a very tense for me because, you know, I wanted the baby to be okay. And then the mom still needed medical care herself. He said, I've given CPR several times, but never to an infant. I've never been part of a baby being born. Um, Thankfully, again, mom, baby, dad, and yes, Sergeant Steve Purdy, all doing well uh, in the aftermath of what was a a chaotic uh, and uh, scary situation. Glad to see smiles on all those faces there, and uh, glad to see that the mom and dad able to reunite with uh, Sergeant Purdy, uh, along with their uh, son, Asher. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. We will be back tomorrow with even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. But you don't have to wait until then. You know, you can always check out BearingArms.com. We've got you covered throughout the day, constantly updating the website with the latest 2A news and info. Uh, If you like what you see, you can also become a VIP member of Bearing Arms. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. We're also going to give you, as our way of saying thanks for showing your support, exclusive news stories, analysis, stuff you won't find anywhere else. Because your support does matter, and it really does make a difference. Hope you have a great rest of your Monday and a, a fabulous week ahead. We'll be back again tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.